Welcome to Planet Raconteur, where we who tell stories rule this world. I am Yuck Nasty, and I am your guide into our world that's filled with sights and sounds, both wonderful and frightening. 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 Filled with sights and sounds, both wonderful and frightening. This is The Nameless Office by Jeff Mock. All right, great. Great. Everybody, let's get started, okay? Uh, thank you for coming. I'm glad everybody's here. And I, I listen, I'm sorry about the mess. Uh, we haven't had a chance to clean up after last night's black mass. Uh, you know how the custodial staff are never allowed in here unless they lose what fragile grip they have on sanity. Anywho, if you could just push some of those bones aside and everybody take a seat. Great. Excellent. Fantastic. Okay. It's come to my attention that we have a serious problem with interpersonal morale. And no, Jason, we have not discovered who's been drinking your Mountain Dew and we realize that it has a sticky note with your name on it, and of course it's not an accident. We are attempting one of the trickier forms of apocalypse, and we simply do not have the resources to assign you a staffer to monitor the fridge. And no, we're not gonna put up hidden cameras, kid. Invasions of privacy are known to reduce office efficiency and besides. We are all slaves to the all-enveloping eyeball of Shielba. If it hasn't decided to smite the thief with unspeakable vengeance, then the project just can't be all that important, cosmically speaking. Relatedly, whoever's been using the eye covering of Shielba as a blanket for your uh, middle-of-the-afternoon naps in the break room, please return it forthwith. If the eye is left gazing too long into the world, and you all know this, it soon begins to beget its unholy spawn upon the unsuspecting. And that's not wholly covered by our HMO. What? Uh, No, Janelle. This is not the time to discuss switching to a PPO. We're bringing about the end of the world, and at that point, all insurance is going to be essentially moot. Hmm? Listen, I'm sorry your copay is too high, but please bear in mind that not everybody finds it necessary, much less enjoyable, to visit the dentist on a weekly basis. We need to prioritize, people. We have what I can only call a crisis. Well, a second crisis. But while I do take pushback seriously, I believe the lack of lot parking isn't really a red alert problem. See, we continue to have use of the overflow lot at the Federal Recryptification Classified Psychic Weapon Facility right next door. And there are plenty of secondary spots near the secondary entrance of the floating octagon. So let's not get sidetracked, okay? <clears throat> now, I'll be blunt. When I came here 50 years ago with nothing but a flashlight battery powering my pineal gland and a soul the size of a walnut, 
the dark gods were restless. They were angry and disquiet in their ageless sleep. They sometimes shook the world with their displeasure, and we rightly feared their imminent wrath. But we also looked forward to bringing their world and ours together in a subjugating embrace of never-ending tears. And now, well, now they just snooze. They're sluggish people. They don't really answer us, and let's be honest, folks. They're in a food coma, and we're to blame. Now, to be clear, I don't mean that this is the fault of any of us individually. Now, with the obvious exception of Patrick, who you'll notice is present today, but obviously he's not among the living. Amy. Amy, stop sniffing him. That's dry ice and the body will keep until we have time to visit the wolves. So yes, so yes, so yes, we have a problem. And I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, people. Too damned many sacrifices. Hey, I get it, man. I'm as human as anyone else here, which is to say, what, approximately two-fifths? And I get the blasphemous high of godlike power, which courses through otherwise semi-frozen veins each time we offer up unto the dark master the brains and blood of another mortal fool. But honestly, we've got designated days for that. And we all know when the blasphemous convocations of unnatural ritual take place. And Peter, let's put the equinox on the calendar this year. Shall we? You see, it used to be difficult to get our hands on appropriate sacrificial victims. Now, I won't dwell too long on the past, but I think we all know what happened to Zach, Emily, and Karen. Shh, don't say her name too loudly. I believe it's possible that Karen can still hear us, even where she is today. And we all know what that would mean. Anyway, there's no denying that our industry has been challenged by the fast pace of the modern business world. It used to be pretty standard, the kidnapping, the screaming, the last minute rescue attempts by people who were unaccountably armed primarily with bullwhips and fedoras. I'm not saying I want that back, but at least those were simpler times. Remember how the victims would fight to the very end? Sometimes knocking one or more of our mid-level executives right into the flaming cracks in the earth that Drew, hi Drew, is supposed to be fixing. How's that coming, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I know. White hot magma is difficult material. I get it. And yes, it hasn't been anywhere near as urgent lately. And that's part of the problem, gang. It's a classic challenge of supply and demand. The old gods demand and we supply. Or we find our minds bent into unnatural shapes by obliterative psychic emanations from dimensions that have no name. That's how business works. What's weird? Let's face it. This generation of sacrifices is just way too eager. They're practically knocking down our doors. And yes, Katsuko, that's why the back door is such a pain and the, the rear end to open. 
We've reinforced it with steel and an internal latticework of the names of the dam. And I, I get the inconvenience, but really, the rear entrance is for maintenance personnel only. It's discouraged for use by anybody not wearing a level four or higher grade exosuit. On account of the hideous rays from the dead stars that tend to beam through that area on their way to what places left best unknown. If you were properly armored, you'd be able to lift, what, uh, six-tenths of a ton with either arm? And the door wouldn't be a problem. Look, there's nothing wrong with your armor. I mean it, seriously. We had a priest of uh, Zencharthus examine it thoroughly, and aside from a very small, highly localized poltergeist, what? Anyway, listen, let's take this up after the meeting, all right? Now, I'm gonna need to be uninterrupted for this little bit right here, okay? No questions. This is a delicate briefing, and some of my notes were gobbled up by the dread Macumba last night, and frankly, I'm not having a great day. The last few quarters have been murder. I mean, I can barely raise a sacrificial knife without somebody trying to jump under it. And yeah, we originally thought that this was making our lives so much easier. But in fact, we've been set back by years, possibly even centuries. The foulness from space, the horrors out of time, the doom of the moon. They ain't devouring all of creation anytime in the foreseeable future. In fact, while they once looked at Earth with profane desire to take all things into their endless and fearsome pie holes, now they just seem to dread us, like somebody who ate a big Thanksgiving dinner twice and won't open the fridge again because they know there's half a turkey and four pounds of stuffing right there. So honestly, I'm stumped and I'm exhausted. I was up all night thwarting attempts by four of our college interns to break into the altar room and hurl themselves into the hecatuminator. The fifth one made it through, and now Hastur the Unspeakable has indigestion and isn't even speaking to me. I tried opening a portal to Fairyland and sending the surplus sacrificial aspirants through to there. But the fairies opened up a second portal right next to it and dumped everybody back in plus a dozen changelings. So, I understand, man. Things are tough, and I'll admit that I'm taking some of this situation personally. You all know how passionate I am about my job. It's been my fondest wish ever since I was just a little baby cultist to bring about the end of everything. I was told that while other toddlers were trying to get their toys to, to, to interact with each other, I was trudging off to the dreamland abyss of Kadath to drop them into the infinite nothing, both the toys and the other toddlers. And later, when my schoolmates were off camping in the woods, I was scaling the heights of Hageth Claw with some blurry photocopies of the Nakotic manuscripts. Some say I died on that mountain, but ha, ha, we know I didn't die until just a couple of years ago. It's how silly rumors get started. Anywho, it's really important that we keep a positive focus during this trying time. I'm going to tell you people, there are going to be some late nights, especially when the moon is gibbous 
and the waves curl up against the shore as if greedy to seize the seemingly solid land and reclaim it, sucking it back down to its original home in the bottom of the watery deep. Thank you, Amy. Now listen, it pains me to do this, but we really don't have a choice. If we want this company to accomplish the vision that we put in place 10,000 years ago, when lost Lemuria faded into the forest recesses of the unconscious mind, I'm just going to say it, people. We need a happier world population. Our demonic pact is to cause misery, suffering, and destruction. Not to end it in a merciful, well, if rather blood-curdling manner. If this current generation of this species believes that oblivion would be a kindness, well, that just pretty much puts us out of a job. So it's time for emergency action and an immediate reorganization. Also, we're going to need a bunch of those mugs uh, uh, with the company name on them ASAP, okay? Thank you. Obviously, the Semi-Human Resources Department working in close cooperation with senior dictatorship and Sue from accounting. Hi, Sue. Hello. We'll uh, be doing the actual reassignments and job descriptions. Pay will remain the same, although there will be mandatory overtime for anyone who is a Wellington Wells certified sorcerer, because we're gonna need a lot of potions. So to give a quick thumbnail, about half the company is gonna be permanently reassigned to the task of taking pictures of cats and sending them out through the inner tubes. You know and I know the true nature of feline slaughter demons. But the delusion that they're these little adorable pets is just one of the many perverse, terrifying aspects of modernity to which we need to adopt. Now the sacrificial department is in charge of cleaning the blood off their claws. And the Department of Deadly Divinations is in charge of making them extra floofy. I love floofy kitties. The other half of the company is going to go and find as many videos of dogs bumping into things as humanly possible. Let's not remind the general public that this apparent clumsiness is because they have the ancient sight of guardians and are attempting to battle the spirits and ghosts only they can see on behalf of mankind which neither remembers nor cares about their bravery in the time of the Wendigo. A hundred generations past now. Seriously, nobody remembers that. We'll just pretend they're trying to get a bunch of sausages or something, okay? And the rare people who like neither cats nor dogs and who are not cheered up by cute fuzzy things, well, those people are management potential. Recruit them and send them straight to me. All right, now I'm going to take questions after the break, and I'm sure everybody's hungry. Listen, today we've got a nice treat. The big bosses sprang for a sushi lunch straight from Sarnath Catering. I know, don't let it get you down. We're not doomed. I mean, well, we're not doomed right now. But I have complete confidence that if we all pull together as a team, by Bokrug, we will be doomed soon. That was Papa Dave Sincere performing The Nameless Office by Jeff Mock. And the man that introduced the story is our new record tour, hip-hop artist Blizz G. 
check out G's new single, Purple Flowers, wherever you stream your music from. Here goes Blizz G's first story with us. This is Flying on Ambien. Flying on Ambien by Bill Adler. Brad rolled the Ambien between his thumb and forefinger. He glanced at his watch, then the Ambien, then his watch again. He rolled the pills several more times, took one last look at his gold Rolex, said, it's time, and down the Ambien with the remaining Samuel Adams. Boarding in 30 minutes, he thought. The drug takes about an hour to take effect. Perfect timing. Brad counted on his fingers to confirm the mental math. I'll be entering slumberland just as the flight takes off. He made another quick calculation. Five and a half hours from LAX to Kennedy. He'd be waking up from his drug sleep when they landed. Brad patted himself on the back, figuring the timing for the somnolescent flight was never easy. Pop the ambient too early, and you might fall asleep and miss the flight. Take it too late, you'll be a zombie when you land, which invariably results in leaving a phone, laptop, glasses, or wallet behind. The public address system interrupted Brad's thoughts. Delta Flight 23 LAX to JFK is delayed for an hour. Passengers should remain in the departure area. Brad glared at the gate agent, hurling unspoken swear words her way. Are you kidding me? Now what do I do? He considered sticking his finger down his throat to expel the drug. If he was going to upchuck the Ambien, he would have to do it now. Finding a bathroom would take too long. The Ambien would have fallen too far into his digestive system. Brad ran his hand along his Brioni suit. He processed the pluses and the minuses as fast as his brain would allow. He couldn't chance ruining such a beautiful suit. Besides, vomiting in the waiting area would probably get him kicked off the flight. He winked at the two already empty beer bottles. In for a penny, in for a pound, he told them. Brad dashed to the nearby TGI Fridays and ordered a beer to go. Good things come in threes. Stupid penny-pinching firm made me fly coach, Brad muttered. As he pressed the recline button, his seat wouldn't budge. The idiot airline stuck me in the last row where the seats are locked in an upright position. Brad shoved his feet against the floor and forced his 180 pounds back as hard as possible. Nothing. He was not going to fly for five and a half hours in a seat that didn't recline. He'd start with a smile, but if the flight attendant couldn't accommodate his reasonable request to move to a seat that reclined, well, Peace was always better said than war, but you never got anything unless you were willing to fight. Brad pressed the call button, but after 60 seconds, nobody came. He rang once every minute for the next 10 minutes, but either the flight attendants were sleeping or they were ignoring passenger calls from the bowels of the coach. My back's not going to survive much longer. It was now 2.11 a.m. according to his watch, which was set to California time. He scratched his head, 
The delayed flight had departed at 1.15 p.m. and should be landing at 6.45 p.m. No way it's 2.11 in the morning. Brad raised his arm to scrutinize his Rolex. It had stopped. The date displayed 1, as in June 1. But today was still May 31st. I must have forgotten to wind my watch, though that doesn't explain why the date reads a day ahead. Did I get on the wrong flight? Brad vaguely recalled reading stories about people who boarded the wrong aircraft. Brad tried to summon image from the boarding, but the ambient had zeroed out his memory. Brad stabbed the call button and froze more time. No response. At least he wasn't in the middle seat. Small solace, given that his back hurt like someone had injected molten cement into it. The two other people in his row, a 40s woman in a gray suit and shiny shoes, evidently on a business trip too, and the overweight man in his 60s, wearing a Hawaiian shirt, loafers with tassels, and no socks were asleep. Brad peered past the pair, casting his gaze outside the window. Two red and white ribbons paralleled the plane, cloud catching the sun's long rays. Brad hoisted himself up from 41A to scout for empty seats. A difficult process because the person in front of him had reclined their seat to nearly a 45 degree angle, well beyond the normal limit. On his first attempt, Brad tumbled back into the seat before even raising himself an inch. He punched the back of 40A, but there was no reaction. Whoever was sitting in 40A was either the soundest sleeper in the world or was being deliberately obstinate. If I'm going to be uncomfortable, so are they. Brad slammed alternating fists into the seat back even harder punching to the tune of Eye of the Tiger. He then opened and closed his tray a dozen times. Brad bopped the person in the seat in front of him on the head. Three tries later, he stood, stomped, and gave 40A a vigorous shake to ensure she, Brad now saw that it was a woman in her 20s, got the message. Don't be a recline ass. She didn't stir. Her eyes didn't wobble underneath their lids signaling a deep sleep. Her arms neatly folded across her lap were frozen in place. Brad surveyed the plane. Nobody was reading, chatting, watching a movie, or chilling with a glass of wine. Everyone was asleep. The dim emergency lighting below and the pale yellow lights overhead made Brad feel like he was in a cave, filling him with claustrophobia. No music leaked out of headphones. No air whooshed through the vents. No engines roared. Since when is a plane silent? Brad marched up the aisle, swiveling his head from side to side, scanning for a vacant seat. There wasn't a single empty seat. He continued to the front, his fury and frustration rising with each step. Where are the flight attendants? He knocked hard against the cockpit door. It flew open. What the? His jaw dropped. Where are the pilots? 
The instruments were aglow in blue and red. Dials and gauges oscillating. The pilot and co-pilot yokes turning on their own. The cockpit air tasted metallic. The pilot's seat felt cool against his hand, from which Brad surmised that the pilot wasn't in the bathroom, but had been gone a while. But the co-pilot wouldn't have left the cockpit at the same time, would he? Brad's back begged him to sit in the plush pilot seat. Why not? He was already in the cockpit. He released a long sigh as the leather seat relieved his pain. Brad searched the instruments for clues to the jet's location. He looked out the cockpit's window, hoping to spot a revealing landmark like the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building. The aircraft shadow traversed a fast-moving river whose angry whitecaps churned the water. Two-headed snakes bit the plane's shadow, causing it to shatter into countless ebon pieces, which the serpent swallowed. An old man with leathery, scaled skin that was more reptile than human and long, gray hair paddled a wooden boat, filled with about 50 passengers across the river, keeping pace with the plane. He looked up as Brad passed overhead. The full moon darted in and out of broken clouds. Water poured into the boat, blown by dozens of statues of dogs with human arms and legs that lined the river's banks. Several times the turbulent water threatened to capsize the crowded craft. Some passengers gripped the boat's sides while others wrapped their arms tight around their bellies. A few wore tired expressions of resignation. Brad looked at the co-pilot's seat again. A laminated sheet laid on it. Had it been there before? Which read, Styx Flight 23. I'm on the wrong flight. Our last story of the night features Bobby Anthem as the narrator. Papa Dave Sincere as Porter And tonight's other newcomer The sensational Ellie McMahon as LeVette Producing sound design by yours truly As always Four is Better Than One By Josh Bush The man woke up He opened his eyes He couldn't rub his eyes or stretch because his arms were tied to a chair. The chair was next to a window. On the other side was outer space and the twinkling of countless stars. Good morning. I was wondering when you were going to wake up. (laughs) How's your head? (coughs) Oh my God. What the... Yeah, my head hurts. Where the hell am I? Who are you? The woman smiled like she had been given the winning numbers to the lottery. Your head hurts because my ship operated on your brain, and it stole your long-term memory. But what? Why? What? What am I doing here tied to, to a chair in the cockpit of a spaceship. I'll tell you later. First, 
Let's talk about what you're going to do for me. Isn't sanity. Porter, you and I are going to travel into a white hole. My name is Porter? Wait, wait, what? Hang on a second. A white hole. I seem to recall a, a black hole. Never a white hole. Seems there's a lot you don't know. A white hole is the exact opposite of a black hole. Sisters, if you will. Everyone knows a black hole sucks objects in, but a white hole blows objects out. From what I remember, nothing can escape a black hole. So if a white hole is the exact opposite, does that mean nothing can enter a white hole? Isn't your little trip here doomed from the very start? Doom. I like that word. What's wrong with you? You're a monster. You're evil. What did I even do to deserve this? You've got it backwards. You're the evil one. We won't have any problem getting into our white hole because of this. <laughs> the hell's in there, a black hole? You got it. And I've got three other cases. Each with their own black holes. Why are you doing this to me? This is revenge, right? You took something from me. And you're going to get it back for me. <laughs> In a white hole? Great. So when I get back whatever I took from you, are you going to let me go? And by the way, what's your name? Or does that have to be a secret as well? My name is Levette. And you might want to look out the window. We've arrived at the white hole. The White Hole was a raging river in space. The river seemed to come from nowhere. The White Hole shot out an endless stream of light, gas, and plasma and clumps of crushed up matter. Oh my god. You want to fly into that nightmare? Why? It's the only way to travel back in time. Look, sis, this is beyond insane. Are you telling me that the only way to get back whatever it is I took from you is that we travel back in time to get it? This is unbelievable. And how are your briefcase black holes supposed to help us? From four different directions, the black holes are going to bite and claw at the white hole, pulling the river in four different directions. And in the middle of those four rivers, our doorway to the past will open. The spaceship began to buck up and down wildly like a bull trying to throw its rider. But why? Why do we have to go to the past to get this, this, this precious item of yours? Fine. I'll tell you. You killed my sister. And we're going back in time to stop you from doing it. Now you wait here while I jettison the black holes. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. But he did. The black holes did their job, tore open a gateway to the past, and the spaceship waltzed through.
Porter and Levette were on the surface of a planet now. They walked on a moderately busy sidewalk. The part I don't get is, if you wanted vengeance, then why did you wipe away my long-term memory? It's simple, really. You, Porter, are a dangerous criminal who's quite capable of stopping me from making you do anything you don't want to. Cruel. Efficient. I don't remember any of these old skills you're speaking of. Cruel. <laughs> That's rich coming from you. But I don't even know the man I used to be. I have no recollection of the things I did. Now, if you care to enlighten me, oh juggler of black holes. They had arrived at a city park. Levette sat at a bench, and without any compulsion, Porter sat down next to his captor. Three loud and raucous teenagers walked by. Uh-oh. Look at those two. Trouble in paradise? Kiss and make up already. The kids, laughing, continued on their way, walking farther into the park. You have committed hundreds of unforgivable acts. You have murdered men, women, and children. You've stolen spaceships, jewelry, and art, and hijacked shipments of all kinds. You have assaulted and maimed innocents beyond reckoning in your quest for easy money. I'm a monster. Don't you dare feel sorry for yourself. I don't. What I feel is regret. You feeling regret doesn't change the fact that you killed my sister. It doesn't change that you robbed me of a life with my sister in it. But isn't that why we're here today? To fix what I've done? The younger you is about to arrive. I'm going to incapacitate him, thus preventing you from killing my sister. Are you going to kill my younger self? You're the murderer. Not me. I don't understand why I'm here. But one thing I do understand is that I'm sorry for what I did to her and for what I've done to you. <laughs> you saying that doesn't change anything. But I'm glad you said it. It was then that the younger porter appeared on the path and he was walking in their direction. Sit back down now and give me your arm. Levette put handcuffs around his wrist and latched him to the bench. The younger porter was there now. The younger porter looked at the face of the older porter. The younger porter looked confused. Levette pulled out a weapon and fired on the younger porter. The younger porter dodged out of the way and pulled out his weapon, and Levette fired again, quickly followed by the younger porter firing his weapon at Levette. Both went down. Both were close to the bench that the older porter sat on. Levette didn't move. Her eyes were closed, but her chest rose and fell with breath. The older porter bent down and took Levette's weapon. The younger porter lay on the ground and held his bleeding leg. The older porter kicked the younger porter's weapon away from him. Who are you? Some uncle I've never met? Yeah, something like that. What are you gonna do? Kill me? 
Why? I'm killing you. So the world will be a better place. The older porter fired his weapon repeatedly into the younger porter's chest. And... Well, there you go. Another trip to Planet Raconteur. On behalf of myself and our other two fine raconteurs, Papa Dave and Bobby Anthem, we would like to thank you for listening. All of the stories presented on Planet Raconteur are used by permission or are in the public domain. Check out the show notes for the details on the authors, their websites, and their other releases. Hey, much love, and thanks again for visiting the Planet Raconteur.